Kia ora, e tihaua, me te whānau. Welcome, friends and family, to the Candid Kiwi podcast. I'm your host, Melissa, and I am the Candid Kiwi. Kia ora, and welcome to episode 10 of the Candid Kiwi. In this episode, we get to hear from Kyle Warner and who he is and his story. Kyle had a traumatic childhood, yet he found a bike and pushed through all odds to be able to be a champion. And he's suffered with suicidal thoughts as well as depression. He's had a lot of drugs around him, but he chose not to take them in order to focus and not be like the people around him. Kyle is so inspirational, and I'm so excited for you to be able to hear his story today. Kyle is a hard worker, he's bright, he's smart, he's funny and he's inspiring to say the least. Kyle wants to give back to the community, he wants to make sure that he's there for people like him when he was a child. Kyle has already done so many amazing things for so many people and I love, love, love that he is sharing his story with you today. I know that you're going to love his story and make a connection with Kyle in so many different avenues because he's had so many different experiences in his life. Between all the trauma he's been through, I'm surprised that he's doing as well as what he is. But that's who Kyle is. Kyle defies all odds and comes out on top. And you'll hear this in his story today. Thank you for being here and thank you for giving us your time. Please come and listen to Kyle's story. Hey, I'm sitting here with Kyle. Thanks for being here. Hey, how are you doing? Good, really good. I'm excited to have you uh, on the Candid Kiwi. Thanks for being here. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited too. It's cool what you've been doing. So why don't you tell us about Ride MTB and what that's all about? Yeah, I guess the best way to describe it is that this past year, April and I, my April's my girlfriend, she was on your podcast earlier. Yeah, she was my first guest. Love her. Love her. <laughs> we kind of started to do some fun mountain bike videos together and it kind of took on a life of its own. And we started to get some traction on YouTube and just people were having a lot of fun learning alongside April and we were trying to figure out a way to just do something bigger outside of just YouTube and we want to try to be able to continue to do this long term and trying to figure out ways to like make a business or you know maybe do coaching in the future and I was looking at websites and domain names and all these things trying to figure out what we should call it and just so happened that ridemtv.com was available <laughs> I was like I don't know how that's happening but um I yeah I got the domain name and then we went through the trademark process and now that is our our company that's awesome and yeah. so you started teaching April because she came from if anyone listened to the first episode April talks about her coming from a teenager motocross life into being a surfer river surfer and now a mountain biker and so she's new to the sport of mountain biking but has some really awesome skills that she's bringing with her so you decided just to get her riding she already was riding yeah but you decided to teach her some more skills right yeah so like the way it kind of worked out is that Usually in the summer, I race. You know, mm. that was my full-time job for mm. a long time, I guess. I don't even know how old I am now. But since I was 18, <laughs> I'm 28, so almost 10 years. Yeah, I've been racing every summer and gone most of the time. And, you know, April and I have been together for, I think, three and a half years. She has started riding. She was having fun with it. I got her e-bike so she could come out and ride with us. And <laughs> she really had a blast with it. And then during the summer, I'd be gone and come back in the fall. And we'd ride together. But with COVID happening, it kind of just put a stop to all the racing. Right. And it made it really kind of nice because we got to spend time with each other through the summer for the first time. And (laughs) 
her goal was like, I want to get better at mountain biking this year now that we have all this time. So one of our sponsors actually asked, hey, or one of my sponsors from racing asked if I could do a blog post of how to do a manual. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And I'll teach April how to manual. And Perfect. so that was our first video we did together. And then, you know, I think it got like 2000 views and we were all stoked, like, oh, that's so cool. And then yeah. we decided, oh, we'll do another one the next week. And that was how to drop. And then that video kind of went crazy. Yeah. And so now I think that one's like a million views. And then we did a bunch of other ones throughout the year. And yeah, it just kind of took on a life of its own enough so that April was able to quit her job this past year and then now be full time. So we can try to just help people learn how to bike. That is amazing that she was able to quit her job with Fly to go full-time and ride MTB. Yeah. And I talked to her and she said she loves it. She loves it. I mean, she loved Fly, but she's excited to be able to be full-time and ride MTB. Yeah, and I feel really fortunate just that with racing, I've always, you know, done racing and that was kind of my primary role as a racer. Mm. But at the end of the day... I've really focused on building like long-term relationships with sponsors and mm -hmm. with these brands that I work with. And so being a racer, it doesn't just mean that you show up at the track, you race and you go home. Mm -hmm. It's like how you interact with people, how you mm -hmm. interact with the people at the company, mm -hmm. you know, kids that come up to you and want to say hi, like how do you interact with them? And I've always tried to be really conscious of that and do a good job of like just being a good person and being a good ambassador to the sport so that other people would say, oh, that's, that looks fun. I want to be a mm -hmm. part of it. And because of that, the sponsors that I've had for years, like some of them for eight, nine years at this point, they just stepped up. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of saying, hey, this YouTube thing is growing really fast. We grew from about 4,000 subscribers when it was just my channel. And then when April came on board this past year, we're at 200,000 subscribers. Whoa. Yeah. And it's been less than a year. So it's been like insane growth. And I just talked to all the sponsors and said, hey, you know, you guys have supported me for years. I'm going to take a step back from racing. I really think it's cool that people are getting impacted from this and having fun and like they're just learning. And we've had people that are like in relationships message us and say, you know, my wife and I were struggling and my wife's always wanted to like we, we needed a shared hobby and I've always wanted her to mountain bike. And through April, she got inspired and started mountain biking. And now like our relationship is better than ever. And we had oh, people message us and say, so cool. Yeah. Like, you know, through COVID, I was really depressed and I was struggling and didn't know what to do. And I saw your guys' channel and it looked really fun. So I got a cheap mountain bike and then, you know, it helped me get wow. through COVID. So that kind of stuff was really impactful. And when I reached out to the sponsors, I shared a lot of those messages and they basically all said, yep, all right, cool. Here's like nice. two-year contracts with all of us, basically, and we want to support April. So they kind of helped us bridge that gap so that it wasn't a complete, you know, just full leap of faith mm. for her to leave her job. Like, we have yeah. a little bit of a safety net, but it is still, it's been really scary, and there's a lot of nights yeah. where she's, like, crying and, yeah. I don't know what to do. And Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Understandable. I think, yeah, it is, and it's hard, like, with life. It's hard sometimes to gain perspective on what, you know, life is and where you're at. And mm -hmm. it's really, you kind of get in the same habit and she's been doing the same thing for so long. Yeah. And for her to take a step back and say, who am I? What am I doing? What is my role? Like I'm living my life and I have this option to keep working out of fear mm -hmm. of, you know, this not working out, mm -hmm. or I could take this chance and just go do something fun and travel and be a part of it and impact other people. And yeah, it's scarier, but like 
risk equals reward, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of times. So Yeah, and you're, I mean, it's scary and stuff, but you are a planner and you're a hard <laughs> worker. And what I've noticed about you is you just don't leap into nothing. Like when you leap into something, there's been a whole lot of Kyle Warner war work <laughs> before you've leapt into that. And she would have seen all of your hard yeah. work and her hard work and the sponsors that love you and stuff. And so it was just probably all the stars aligned for her to feel the safest in an unsafe move, really, to feel the safest because, I mean, no... Uh, very few people work as hard as you and so I think I think that uh, that probably would have helped yeah too, it's kind of it's actually funny how much synergy there is there with what we do on the channel which is helping April safely navigate these new skills you yeah. know and it's like okay how do we do this well let's look at your body position let's look at what you're doing what's your goal how are you going to execute this and that's kind of exactly what we did that's one of the things that's cool about mountain biking is it really teaches you a lot of life skills if you yeah. if you take the time to process what you're doing. You're like, I want to hit this jump. I don't know how. How do I do it? And you look at other people doing it. You study them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I do a lot is like look at other successful people, study why they're successful. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're taking two paddle strokes here mm -hmm. and then they're pumping this roller. Okay, then mm -hmm. that'll give me the speed to hit that jump instead yeah. of going into stuff blind. Same with business. You're like, why is that YouTube channel successful? Mm -hmm. They do this, 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 and this. Oh, okay, cool. That'll help me. Yeah. You are so calculated with your stuff, with your bikes, with, like you just said, with the things that you take seriously. Like, I am not. I'm just like, yeah, tell me what to do, Drew. Or, you know what I mean? But you're so calculated, which is why your videos are so successful, because you break stuff down so much for us to be able to be like, oh, yeah. So you've done all of the hard work mm -hmm. for us so that when we look at your videos, it's flawed. The way that you tell us how to do stuff and then using April is just awesome for us to be able to do exactly what you just said. You've done all the hard work to break it down for us. We simply watch it. <laughs> we go out and try it. And it's successful because, like, you show us, like, what the wrong way to yeah. do something is and then tell us why it's the wrong way and show the body position. And I'm like... Is he going to crash showing us the wrong way? But you're so good, you don't. You can do it the wrong way and hit it and the right way and hit it. And it's so good for people like me who are fearful. I'm like, if I just do what Carl tells me, I'm going to be okay. And April trusts that. And that's why these videos are amazing because you do all this hard work for us. Yeah, I think that what's funny, April always laughs at me because she's like, what? Like when I do stuff the wrong way on purpose. And one day <laughs> I was at the dirt jumps and we were trying to get ready for like how to jump video. And I was trying to basically figure out what people do wrong and how. And so I was just like going into jumps and doing nothing, just getting buffed forward and like, <laughs> and like nose casing stuff. And these guys were laughing. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to remember what it was like to learn to jump. And you know, you just get scared and you get tense yeah. and then you just get thrown forward. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so I need to show people that that is how, what's happening. Cause I think a lot of times you see the success stories of people, right? Yeah. And you see like these highlight reels of people's lives, but when you're on the come up and you're trying to do something or learn something new, there always is going to be struggle. So having someone that can help you navigate those struggles where you're like, oh, I've seen that. I've identified what that was and I had that happen to me. So now I know that like when he said, don't get tight and then I did it, like it, <laughs> I looked exactly the same as that. So yeah. I know it's just fun. I, I really enjoy it a lot. And I was telling April the other day, it's kind of weird because, you know, a lot of people will work 
to achieve something. So they'll work really hard at their job to get a boat or to get a car yeah. or to buy a house. And yeah. for me, like, it's kind of funny because I don't have any of those goals right now. It's just like, I want to work hard to do this. Yeah. Like that is the goal. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just been really fun because it's, uh, it's very freeing when you don't have those aspirations. You're like, Oh, I need to do a video because I need to do this to make the money to do this. Yeah. It's, I want to do a video cause I want to help people and just get this message out. And it was funny cause I was actually thinking a year or two ago, just about kind of moving on from racing. I was just a little bit not like burnt out. I don't think that's the right word, but I kind of achieved all the goals that I had set out for myself within that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be the 40 year old dude that's still going to the races. Cause that's the only thing I know how to do. You're 28. Yeah. <laughs> but I, there's a lot of guys that in nothing wrong with it, but in the bike industry that have been there their whole life. And yeah. I think a lot of times they stay in it because it's the only thing they know. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that do that and it's, that's totally fine. But for me, I feel like life is such a huge adventure and I yeah. wanted to try to do different things. And I have goals outside of biking and I was like trying to think about retiring or, you know, pulling away. And then I thought about all the experience and knowledge I've gained. I'm like, I need to at least just put this out there before I leave, you know? Yeah. So it's like, at least get out all the stuff I learned for other people to learn and enjoy. And then I can move on. Yeah. Which is what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So if we go to the website, Ride MTB, what are we going to find? Like, what is it about? Yeah. At the moment, if you go on, you'll kind of find obviously the videos and then a few podcasts that we've done over the past year or two. Oh, great. You'll also find our kind of backstory a little bit and our Great. mission statement and then we do have apparel and gear which helps us fund the videos yep. and also just gets people to be part of the crew kind yeah. of like i don't know people want to support it and they want to feel like they're a part of it and so it's a i good like way to the do apparel that. you guys have good i was looking at like this awesome hoodie and stuff because i like hoodies but you have like t-shirts hoodies and hats and like you have not just t-shirts yeah like, you have men's and women's and kids and so that's kind of nice yeah we're trying to branch out and honestly we don't push it super hard no. it's kind of just there for people that want to feel like a part of it and people that want to support because we've had so many people that have reached out in the past year saying you know, this is so helpful. How do we support you guys? And yeah. we we're kind of thinking about ways to do that. And it's, I don't like just saying, oh yeah, you can just send us money on PayPal or something. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's so weird. So I thought it would be fun if we did just some gear where people could feel like they're part of it and they yeah. can see us wrapping the gear. And then over yeah. time, we have a lot of plans, like with April being full time, we want to try to branch into designing some gear and some hard parts Great. and components. And Great. over time, it will be something bigger. But right now, it's kind of just a landing page to have everything there. Great. But yeah, yeah it, it's fun. It's been so much to learn and it's crazy it's been less than a year so yeah <laughs> like... well you do a lot i mean you're looking at like lawyer stuff you're looking at business stuff you're looking at construction stuff you're looking at video tech stuff like you're a jack of all <laughs> trades man master of none apart from mountain yeah. biking you know yeah. what i mean yeah yeah and so it's been for everyone listening it's a lot of hard work and a lot of hours so thank goodness your goal and your heart is in it so this is all just like a work of love you yeah know? that's what they say you know if you if you actually are truly involved and you're passionate and love what you're doing like if you love what you're doing then it doesn't feel like work a lot of times like yeah. there's some things that i do where i go oh man i don't want to do that you know like <laughs> washing the car or something yeah. you're like <laughs> yeah yeah that feels like work to me but yeah. then 
you know, working in the shop and we're building out a new shop, which will be kind of our HQ to house a lot of new product and then also to do podcasts and all these cool things. And yeah, exciting. Working in there, it doesn't feel like work. It's just what I'm doing. You yeah. Know? So it's like yeah. everything's a hobby, but then it's hobbies that help you help other people your so. goals yeah yeah and your goal is to help other people which i think has always been your goal you're so so good and so kind you know <laughs> like to our children and to everybody and i think the reason why you are is because when you were a child you got helped mm-hmm. so much as a child and so when you're out there at eagle bike park or at boise bike park or and all of your travels these kids are just like hey and my kids have reached out to you and you're there for them straight away as yeah. well as other bikers in the valley and i just can't believe how kind and nice you guys are <laughs> i just can't you guys are the nicest kindest group of people the professional mountain bikers and the that's just so so awesome for the up-and-coming kids mm-hmm. like your example of you're not like jerks yeah and for whatever reason and i don't know why i came into it thinking oh they're not going to help us they're probably just into themselves and they're not Every awesome mountain biker is not into themselves. They're like really kind and you're no exception. And that's such a good example to my and other children not to be jerks. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool too because mountain biking is one of the few sports where, you know, if you were on a basketball court, it's going to be hard to play with Steph Curry. Like if you went to, if you played high school basketball, you're not going to be able to play on the same court as Steph Curry. But if you ride mountain bikes and you're on a trail network and you see a pro that you look up to, like you can ride the same trail as them, you can follow them, you can yeah. hang out with them at the top of the jumps, and it's just everyone is together. And yeah. I think it may change one day if the sport continues to grow, you know, keep growing and growing. Because in the 90s, it was a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more money in it, and it definitely had more of an era or, you know, essence of kind of like competitiveness. Okay. And then after the 2000s, a lot of the money went out of the sport and i think that what you're having now is everyone who's in the sport is in it for passion it's not an industry where you know like the minimum wage in the nfl is five hundred eighty thousand dollars a year and in mountain biking you're lucky if you're a pro and you can make 30 grand a year wow so it's huge difference yeah it's a huge difference and it's people that have dedicated their life to a passion and if you're passionate about something and you want to share that with people, then it makes it easy. So I think... So 30 grand is more humbling than 580 grand. Yeah, yeah. Like, (laughs) I think that when, in the 90s, there was, you know, you had Jeep and Sobe and Mountain Dew and all these companies heavily involved in mountain biking. And if you were just a top top 20 guy in the u.s you can make 100 grand a year Mm. and if you're a top guy you're making a million dollars a year and kind of had the rock star party attitude and it was a little bit different Mm -hmm. the people that it brought in and then you know like i said in the 2000s especially people nowadays because like when i was up and coming it was 2008 2009 and that was right after the financial crisis Mm. and so there was literally like zero dollars in the sport Mm. and so when we were trying to get sponsorship I mean, my first sponsors and everything were a discounted frame, you know, yeah, and I'm racing yeah. pro and they're, yeah, oh, yeah. we'll sell you a frame for $500. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> That'll help me a ton, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> so I remember all that stuff and it's just kind of, like I said, if you are passionate about it and you're in it for the right reason, you want to see other people get in it because it has helped you yeah. for whatever reason. And for me, mountain biking was such a huge identity builder. Mm-hmm. and confidence builder because growing up I was like the little fat kid that you know didn't have a ton of friends I wasn't like the popular kid or anything and it was just funny because 
but through mountain biking, you start to, I started to ride and I started to like aspire to these other people. And I was always at the jumps with the people I looked up to. And yeah, it was just so cool to watch them and try to copy them. Like I said, even with business, you like look at other people, study why they're successful and try to copy or clone them. I just thought it was really cool. And then when I started to get better, it's something you can attach your identity to. And it's like yeah. your, your anchor is I am a, a rider. And yeah. Once yeah. you have an anchor of who you are, then it makes it really easy to like stay on course. So let's go back and, you know, you're amazing. You're in this business. You're, you've been pro. You're like awesome. So let's like talk a little bit about how you got there. And so tell me, where did you grow up? Yeah. So I grew up in Chico, California, which okay. is a little town. It's about three hours north of San Francisco Okay. and three hours south of Oregon. So it's kind of like right in the top middle of California and a town of about 80,000 people. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting place because there's not a whole lot of money in Chico. There's a, a really good university there that was like one of the top party schools forever and all this <laughs> stuff. So people go there to go to school and then they kind of get stuck there because of the lifestyle. There's some beautiful parks and things like that. Nice. But the amount of like supporting jobs in the area isn't very high. So my mom kind of was in that same role where she grew up there, but she was never able to really make anything substantial for herself. Mm -hmm. And she'd always kind of battled with depression and, you know, just a lot of things people battle with and drug addiction, which is huge in that area. Like the neighboring town of really? Oroville, California is the meth capital of California. Oh. So it's pretty, it's a pretty rough area like mm -hmm. underneath so on mm -hmm. surface it's very beautiful and everything's like really cool and a great place to be and then underneath there's like a lot of undertones of painkiller abuse and methadone and heroin and mm -hmm. all these things that happen there so a lot of the people like my mom was addicted to painkillers her whole life my brother became a heroin addict and a meth addict his dad was a painkiller addict my dad is alcoholic like mm -hmm. it was just everywhere wow yeah it was it's it's really interesting it's like a it's weird that it has that dark undertone and I don't know what that's from, but I think it's just because there isn't a lot of upward mobility there because mm -hmm. so the economy isn't pumping. Yeah. There's no, like not a whole lot of upward mobility where if you're a minimum wage worker, you work your way up to being like a, you know, earning decent money. Yeah. It's just kind of service industry jobs, the college and then farming. So what did your mom do? She worked at, money? she was a transcriptionist, which is basically she would have doctors send her recordings of their patients and stuff. Like, okay. you know, they're talking and she would go through and type okay. what they were saying. So she did that when I was growing up. And then as technology got better, they kind of had the voice recognition and, you know, all that stuff. So her job went away. But um, she, she did that up until I was, I think, in like sixth grade or seventh grade. Okay. And then what about your dad? Was he very present in your life? No, they actually got divorced when I when she was pregnant with me. So oh, <laughs> my, mom, my mom was pregnant with me and I think she was like seven months pregnant and the, a sheriff came to our house and knocked on the door looking for child support payments from my dad. And oh. he had a kid that she didn't know about. And oh. so, so they got a divorce like <sighs> right when, um, right before I was born. So I, he was never around. And then when I was growing up, my brother, he's 13 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So like I was kind of the accident baby and my brother's 13 years older. So he was, you know, 13 when I was born and then he moved out of the house when he was 16. Oh, so wow. I was kind of only child, just me and my mom. And she never really dated or anything growing up. It was just Maybe that was her. kind of a good thing. So you didn't get any more abuse yeah no negative any, influence yeah on which, that side maybe i don't know no i i am actually really grateful for 
it because without having a dad, it kind of freed me up to pick my male mentors, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so then I was able to pick good ones that I aspire, like that inspired me, not I necessarily. I can't believe how much he missed out on. Like, I can't <laughs> believe he's got nothing to do with you. That's crazy to me because you're such, you've turned out so amazing without a, without him, which is, or despite him. And what a fantastic person you are. I often, I often like feel bad for and not for parents who don't have anything to do with their kids not because of what you're missing out on because you're not missing out on anything because you don't know what you're missing out yeah. on you know of course a father figure would have been nice of course but they're the ones missing out Kyle he missed out on you yeah and that's a tragedy because yeah. you're so amazing you know uh, I know it's, it's his loss man it's, it's kind of crazy because um through the past few years and especially like once we started to get a little bit more successful he actually started to kind of reach out and say like hey how's oh it? he did yeah and i was like you know i just messaged him straight up and said hey no hard feelings like i don't harbor any animosity I've, I've kind of like i'm okay i'm happy with how my life has turned out i'm happy with who i've turned out to be and if you were there i would have been a different person so like no hard feelings but i just don't really have energy to deal with you mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. maybe one day but i was like dude i'm so just focus on what I'm doing. I don't want to try to, like, build a new relationship and bring you all up to speed, especially for someone who has only just decided to be a president when I was successful, you know? Like, right. when I was growing up and I was 14 years old and suicidal, like, where were, where you? were you? Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, bro, you missed your window for now. Yeah, I was Maybe like, hit me up in my 50s. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, maybe one day, and he's pretty young, too. My mom was 37 when she had me, and my dad was 24. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah so. He was young. Super young. So, I, in a lot of ways, I don't feel, like I said, I don't have any resentment, and I think that's super young. been helpful, because he was really young, and, I mean, it's no excuse for... No. Yeah, it's not an excuse, but it is, you know, you, it's a cause or a yeah a factor in yeah. what happened. So I was like, I forgive you. We're all good, but I just don't have the time to not deal with yet. you. Yeah, 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 not <laughs> yeah. yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And so it was you and your mom, and your brother moved out when you were three. Yeah. Well, you still have a relationship with your brother, though, right? Yeah, and like, it was tricky. I always looked up to him a lot because he was a motocross racer and so oh. he was really into like racing motocross and filming videos and all this cool stuff and he got to go to X Games and was like a media guy and cool. So he was really influential to me and I looked up to him a lot and then when I was how old is that? I was like maybe 13, 12 or 13 and he was kind of racing arena cross which is like a yeah. light version of indoor supercross. Yeah. And he broke both his legs really bad and that was kind of a big injury and that was the start of his whole downfall cuz he broke okay. both his legs, was in a wheelchair for 6 months and then that was when he got hooked on painkillers and because he was using them and yeah, just had a crazy ride. So he got hooked on painkillers, started to use heroin then that turned into meth and it's just kind of like this downfall mm -hmm. and so by the time I was in high school you know I'd always looked up to him he was my big brother and I always wanted to be like him and then by the time I was a freshman in high school he was like living on the street out of a van going to jail oh. like and it was pretty crazy to see that whole thing happen mm -hmm. and it was hard like I was uh I think I was in eighth grade and my at two in the morning, my phone started ringing. I had like one of those little prepaid track phones <laughs> and I answered and it's his girlfriend and he, 
she's like, hey, are you, are you there? How's it going? Is your mom awake? Or, you know, can you get your mom for me? I'm like, yeah, I'll get her. So I go in my mom's room and wake her up and, um, she's like, we need to go and we go and he's overdosed. And so Uh. he was like overdosing and, you know, like kind of dying on the floor. Oh my goodness, Kyle. Yeah, it was crazy. And, um, so I like went in and was like helping him and my mom had to go outside and like call the ambulance and I just had to be with him because he was still somewhat coherent, but was like hallucinating type stuff. Mm -hmm. And so... That was pretty... That was really traumatizing, Yeah. seeing that, because yeah. it was like... Your brother could have died in front of your face, and you were, like, 14. Yeah, and it was like, you know, and then you are... Deal with that all night. It's like 4.35 in the morning. Finally go back home, and it's like, all right, time to go to school, you know? And you're like... <laughs> yeah, okay. Now let's talk about math. It's like, yeah. my brother almost died, man. I'm, I'm like, yeah. don't want to think about math. Yeah. Like, How's he doing now? He's doing really good. Like, that's kind of the cool thing, is that he was able to get out of it. And so, over... I think he was kind of dealing with that for about four to five years. So, I didn't speak to him for a few years, four to five years. And then he kind of Just had, to protect yourself? It was just, like, too much to handle as Mm -hmm. a kid, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I've kind of developed, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but I understand when things are too much of an energy drain for me. And so it was like, I knew that I couldn't open that door because it was so full, you know? I was like, I need to just avoid that Mm -hmm. because I can't, like, it'll crush me. I just Mm -hmm. can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. Because at the same time, I was dealing with my mom, Mm -hmm. who was really sick, and she was going through, like... She got hepatitis C from using bad needles when she was a drug addict. Mm. And so she had hepatitis C. It was really affecting her. And she went through um, an experimental treatment called interferon, which is basically chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that same year, which freshman high school, my mom was going through chemotherapy that was experimental for hepatitis to try to clear her hepatitis. And I was, you know, she was in bed, like, literally for six months, like, just done like mm-hmm. and so yeah it was hard because i was dealing with that my brother was there and they were having issues and he would come over and steal all her pills and he and there was fighting and i was just like going to school you know like blinders <laughs> on like okay let's see how this goes <laughs> and it was funny because uh i remember like my teachers especially my so i missed so much of first and second period mm-hmm. because it was like really just stressful and I had a hard time sleeping and mm-hmm. I'd finally fall asleep and then I'd wake up and I'd be like running late to school mm-hmm. and I'd have to get ready and then like run out the door because my mom was like incapacitated basically so set my alarm get ready run out the door be ready for school and then I'd always get there late mm-hmm. my first period teacher was my history teacher and I remember one day like he never actually asked me are you okay you know what's going on he just told me if you're not gonna if you're not going to be here on time, I don't ever want to see you again. Like, get out of my class. And what? So, yeah, so then I just stopped going to school, basically, because I was like, all right, you know, because it's hard. Message received. Yeah, and then <laughs> it was just hard. I think he even told me, he's like, I'll give you a D, so you pass the class. I just don't want you here. And, oh, my goodness. Because you're a distraction. Okay, so if there's any junior high <laughs> teachers listening out here, ask the child how they're doing. Maybe yeah. care you know yeah it was i was thinking about that the other day just how crazy it is that um you know there's it's sad that there's so many kids that fall through the cracks and luckily like for me what really changed everything was at that point in time my sophomore year is when i found biking and that was what i attached to and that was like like i said it was my identity builder because that whole time going through everything i was going through i didn't have anything i was just a kid like i was just a normal kid nothing going on you know 
I was just a, a failing student with nothing to show for it, and I wasn't special. I didn't have a ton of friends. I wasn't. There's was nothing there. I was just Kyle, you know. Yeah. It's hard because then you start to just give up, and I think a lot of people do just kind of give up. But then for me, what saved me a lot of ways was like seeing my brother go through that arc, and then seeing my mom with all her struggles. It was kind of like my way of rebelling was to say that I'm going to be straight edge, mm-hmm. you know, like no drinking, no drugs, no nothing. Like I'm, I'm never going to be amazing. like you guys. That's amazing. So, and was, you said when you were 14, you were slightly suicidal. Was that right at this time with yeah. your brother and your mom? Right. Yeah. So how did you not, how did you work yourself through that? Was that when you um, found bikes or how did you not fall into this? I don't know. Pit of despair. I know? honestly don't know. Like I think a lot of times it's just kind of, luck and then a lot of it was um feeling accountable to help my mom you know so that was a big part of it was like I had the accountability of like she needs me because I was kind of the man of the house yeah so it was you know I can't it was almost like she needs me I need to be here and that's a big driving factor right but like yeah that was really hard and I know it's just funny because you're going to school every day and everyone's just like hanging out and then you see all the kids at school and you don't know what any of them are doing at home or dealing with at home right yeah yeah. so i had i had two really good teachers uh my wood shop teacher mr phelan and then my pe or sports conditioning teacher and they were the ones that really helped me like stay in school as long as i did but then my sophomore year i actually enrolled in homeschool and then just kind of did independent study and because i was i my mom basically got threatened to go to jail because i was truant so much like i was absent so much okay and um yeah so they were like you need to either figure this out or you're gonna they were gonna send me to like the continuation school which is like the school for bad kids okay and then i was like i don't want to do that i'm just gonna do homeschool okay but yeah it was it was crazy but like i said in that kind of time period i found biking a little bit and I would go down to the dirt jumps with my friends and hang out after school and started to really find passion in that and I would always you know watch my brother race motocross so I'd always seen x games and everything and I was like oh this is fun like I want to try to get better at this and as soon as I started to get a little bit better and then I think the first time someone was like oh that was sick you know like you had to jump you were like that's so cool you're like this is my life (laughs) like I'm I'm this is what I want to do because it's the first time that as a kid you can have people look up to you or appreciate you you know so sophomore i've got um listeners from new zealand and australia sophomore is uh 10th grade yeah so you're around 15 16 years old and this is when you kind of started really um getting into jumping and bikes and stuff like that right exactly and yeah it was so much fun like i just remember going down and the cool thing what i loved the most about it is that there wasn't a time limit where with organized sports it's like okay you go to school till 3 p.m and then at 3.30, you start practice, then 3.30 to 6, and then at 6, you got to go home. Yeah. And for me, my biggest thing was, like, if I can be out of the house as long as possible, it makes my life easier, because yeah. it's just less to think about. Yeah. So, we'd go to the dirt jumps, and then I'd, like, ditch school, go to the dirt jumps in the morning, come at lunch, hang out with my friends, leave again, go to the dirt jumps, then ride street or, like, BMX all night, mm-hmm. and then at maybe, like, 11 or midnight, come home, sleep, and then repeat. And it was just 
the less time I had to spend in the house was mm-hmm. better. So that's As why as a mom, I'm feeling like, oh my goodness, <laughs> if my child did this, I would be so like I'm thinking as a mom, I'm thinking, what did you eat? Were you okay? <laughs> Who was doing your washing? What about your underwear? Like I'm thinking of all these things and you had a you just had such a different life from so many people. Mm-hmm. But also the same as a lot of people too, you yeah. know. And it was just you riding yeah. bikes like but it was funny because one of the coolest things about independent study was that they actually gave me credits if i got a job and i was so far behind because my gpa in high school i had a 0.5 gpa wow so i was like failing you know tested top one percent in the country for math english and science on the star oh testing goodness. and then i was 0.5 gpa failing and not a single counselor ever said hey what's going on yeah that is crazy <laughs> like so for people back home like a gpa is your grade point average we don't do that but a perfect score is a 4.0 and so if you can get between a 3 and a 4 you're kind of doing okay so a 0.5 is really bad I yeah. just want to point that out the only classes that I passed were my wood shop and my sports conditioning yeah and yeah it was just funny those are the ones I use the most nowadays anyways yeah like- you're so smart you're so smart so if someone had just like said hey what's going on Kyle yeah you know what I mean because you're so so smart obviously from like these tests that they did but you're getting a 0.5 who's doing the disconnect nobody yeah you know yeah it sounds like you looked after yourself in homeschool yeah it was it was nice in homeschool because like I, i was able to get credits for working and so at 14 i started working under the table and then like 14 and a half and then 15 i started to work at a bike shop like pretty much 40 hours a week between 30 and 40 hours a week and what's cool is that every hour i earn credits for my school so it helped me get back up to be able to graduate on time Um, so you graduated high school (laughs) yeah yeah, i did what was your gpa Uh, i think i had a 4.0 after independent study just because it was easy like i could do it on my own pace oh my goodness kyle (laughs) from a 0.5 to a 4.0 that's what i should label this a podcast you couldn't be absent at homeschool either you know like it's like (laughs) Sorry, I wasn't at home. Yeah. You know, I was like, you were. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I just love the freedom. I've always been someone who needed a lot of freedom. And yeah. the more freedom I'm given, the the more I excel. And the more people try to control my time and my my kind of thing, then the, the worse you I rebel. do. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, I'm just not happy. And if I'm not happy, then I'm not motivated. So yeah. for me, just the freedom is so, so key. But yeah, I loved independent study. It was so much fun. And I had a teacher who was really nice and we would just meet once every 28 days. And that was when I turned in my homework. And Nice. Yeah, he was super cool. And then Good. they got me a camera. So that was like, uh, I got to do credits for photography class and they like helped oh. me buy a camera. And it was cool. I, yeah. I had so much fun. And at this and- point, things are getting a little bit better too because my mom had finished her um, interferon treatment. So she was cleared of How hepatitis. How long did that take her? It took basically six months of treatment plus like the pre and then a little bit of recovery so maybe a year of total okay so things they kind of started to get better did um, she get a job no she's she's been on disability okay for a while but that's why things kind of started to get better because from when i was in sixth seventh grade when she kind of lost her job up until high school she had been doing nothing and mm-hmm. then had never applied for government assistance Either. Oh, so you guys had no money. Yeah, nothing. And that was when we were living in, like, the abandoned house thing for a bit, too. Uh-huh. Because she had lost her house in 2007, like, during the housing crisis. And because she had an adjustable rate mortgage, 
she didn't know what that meant. And then when the interest rates kicked up, then she it was like two thousand bucks a month. And yeah, yeah. So and so you found this house, this abandoned house, and you lived in that. Yeah, that we used to. I grew up next door to it. And then when we moved across town, at one point when my mom got that more adjustable rate mortgage, it started as a negative interest rate. So basically you kind of get paid, you know, it like credits it and then it flipped to like a high interest rate. And so she lost everything. And then I was hanging out with my best friend one day and we were right, he was my old next door neighbor and we were hanging out and I saw that the house that I grew up next to was abandoned. And I was like, Hey, what, what's going on there? Why is all the, like, why is it all boarded up? And he said, Oh yeah, they were growing a bunch of weed in the basement and they got busted. (laughs) And like, you know, it's so, so, uh, they it got busted it got raided and it they had to evacuate and it was just abandoned like broken windows and all this stuff and i don't know it just like was a mental note like a marker in my head i was like okay and then i think a few months later was when we got the eviction notice at our house Mm -hmm. and i we were trying to figure out what to do and we didn't really have anywhere to go or anything and uh i remember i just told my mom like hey that house that we grew up next to like beverly that was the landlady Mm -hmm. like their that house is abandoned and she's like okay and then just started like mailing the landlady that she used to know and she never got in touch with her and we had about two months i think between the time that she started sending mail to her to say like is there any way we can move in is there any way we can do this like what do we do and she'd never gotten a response and so then like eviction day came and we had the u-haul truck and it was like where are we going and it's like okay we're going to that house so yeah but since like it was you know abandoned the windows were broken you could just unlock the door and then it was like (laughs) so your house for the time being because we didn't have anywhere else to go and uh yeah it was crazy because we just moved all our stuff in we didn't unbox it or anything but it's just like put all the stuff in the house we're like okay we'll see what happens you know and then how long were you guys there for I think after about two to three weeks of being there and just kind of like not sure what to do and looking for other things, then Beverly, the landlady, she was in her 80s. She came down the hill and saw us there. And then my mom's like, oh, I've been trying to get in touch with you. And she was really sweet and said, totally okay. Like, you know, get it back on your feet. We'll figure things out and we'll make this okay. And so that worked out. We were able to stay there for a bit and we were trying to in the midst of figuring out what to do. And then she died. Oh, and so then no. we're like, <laughs> what do we do now? So then we're kind of in limbo where it's like, we're in this house. The land, the owner is dead. She didn't have any kids. She didn't have any family. So it's just in limbo. There's holes in the floor, holes in the roof. It's like, no, you know, it's just like this total mess. I had plywood covering my windows in my bedroom. <laughs> and it's funny because we didn't know what to do. So we're just kind of like, all right, we'll just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And we ended up being there for, I think, four years before the family, it kind of went through this chain of command where it went down, 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 all the way to this cousin who (laughs) lived in a different part of California. And then one day I was just there and I got a knock on the door and they're like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, we didn't think anyone lived here. We're like, yeah, we've been here for a while. This is kind of the situation. They're like, okay, that's fine. And um, they were actually really sweet, like an older couple too. And they helped they let me stay there for another year. At this point, my mom had moved out. It's just me and my best friend living there. Uh, and then How old were you, Kyle? I was 18. Okay. And so, yeah, me and my best friend living there, and they let me stay there for a year. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. And I, I kind of helped fix up the house as we went. So I, like, added paint and put doors and window. Yeah. It didn't have blinds on it the whole time we lived there. Mm-hmm. So there's no window blinds, which <laughs> I never even thought about. But, yeah, <laughs> we, like, got window blinds and all that stuff. It was it was Upgrades. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> We had a sick pump track in the backyard, though. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Did. yeah. I wish. Do you have any pictures? Maybe I'll put them up. Yeah, I have some <laughs> cool pictures of it. It was 
it was fun though it was such a cool time and i don't know i had so much fun living there and it's just like cool because i i laugh now because april and i have been like super fortunate and you know my you have a beautiful house that yeah. you guys have saved for and it's just beautiful yeah and it was it was funny too because uh there's a really good quote from this guy who's a nascar racer and he goes you always race faster when you're in debt <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because like that's how i was because i had started to race at this point when i was like 17 18 i was racing a little bit and then i turned pro at night or i turned pro at 18 really got to be a pro like doing well at 19 and was able to start making money from racing and i remember literally like on the starting line you're in fourth place and you get a bonus for third or better and you're like okay i need to pay you know i need to pay the bills i need to do this like i need i don't have any money and it's just go for it and it was funny in 2014 i got to do like a big six week road trip and I think I started the road trip with like a thousand dollars in my bank account, and we drove to Colorado for six weeks with a thousand bucks in my bank account. So it's like n definitely not gonna make it, right? So first race we go to, I won. I won eighteen hundred bucks that race. I was like, yes, okay, we can keep going. And then you go to the next one in Keystone, Colorado. I won fourteen hundred bucks, and I was like, yes, okay, we're good. <laughs> and so then I think in that six week period, I won like $7,000 of race winnings. And it was literally like every race. It was like, okay, yes, we can go to the next one, you know? <laughs> so it was that funny. Crazy. And I feel bad for the guys I raced against. Cause there's no <laughs> way that they wanted it as bad as me at yeah. that point. I was, yeah. you know, 20, I think I was 20 years old at the time, maybe 21 and just literally racing to be able to race the next weekend and to live yeah and it was funny because those guys like there's no way they're gonna risk their life to beat yeah. me you know yeah. i'm like <laughs> and i was just go for it good so that luck. was good luck that was a cool experience and that was the because of that like big block that we did that six week block where i did really good that was the first year i won the national championship like the overall for mm. the for mm. america or for north america so that was really cool yeah that's way cool yeah who was this little bike shop that you worked for when you were 15 so 14 15 there's a bike shop in chico called chico bike and board mm -hmm. and that was where i started and they were they were really awesome he helped me a ton and um just let me kind of work up really quick and gave me a ton of responsibility really quick so mm -hmm. i went from being you know the guy that they hired to basically pull the bikes out of the boxes and like cut all the zip ties mm -hmm. and get it ready for the mechanic to being the manager in like a year and a half by the time nice. i was 17 i was manager you're obviously a hard worker you know they saw yeah. something in you or did they take a leap of faith on you no i think that i think that i just cared a lot mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's like I try to care about everything I do, you know? And it's yeah. like, if you care, then you're, I mean, you do a good job usually if you yeah. care. So I just, and I was appreciative of the fact that he would pay me. I got paid eight bucks an hour. And I just always thought like, if I work four days a week, then I can be gone on the weekend to a race and that those four days pay for that weekend. So then you kind of are like at a net zero, but mm -hmm. it's still like a zero is better than negative. Yeah. You know? So it's yeah. like, you're not going in the hole. And How old were you with your first race? Um, I was 16, I think. 16 or 17. Was it a downhill or a yeah, cross country? Downhill. Or was it downhill? In Oregon. I got to go to Ashland, Oregon for a race. And some of the local guys in Chico, they had brought me up there. Because mm -hmm. at the dirt jumps, they saw that I had like some talent. And they got me on a mountain bike. And that was how I got into mountain biking. Is These guys basically saw me dirt jumping. They said, the way you ride is like, you're, you'd be good on a mountain bike. Like, we want to mm. take you mountain biking. And they did, and that was the start of everything. But thank goodness for these good guys yeah. who like saw something in you. It was you cool. Know? And it's funny. My first race, 
my first big race, so excited, right? Go out there, I was racing sport class, which is basically you have beginner, sport, expert, and pro. And okay. I was in sport and go out of the starting gate, hit the first jump, and my derailleur explodes, my chain breaks, and I fly off into the woods, and uh. I DNF. <laughs> So I, I did not finish my first race. So. <laughs> but obviously so, you got bitter and bitter. Yeah, I, by the the next time I went to a race was a few weeks later in Mount Shasta, and my bike actually stayed together, and I won. And that was like... Oh my I, goodness, yeah, your hooked. second race you won. Yeah, and I was And sport? Hooked. No, that was actually... I had gone and raced expert at that time because through the whole race you week... DNF sport so <laughs> yeah. you said I'm gonna go on expert for my second race <laughs> yeah cause I, it was funny like the guys are, I was riding with and practicing with they raced pro and uh-huh. or like high level expert and I was on their wheel the whole weekend in practice and even though my bike exploded I kinda was like okay I think I can do this and yeah. then yeah, and you did. Yeah, second you race did. I did good. I won yeah. the race in Mount Shasta, and that was... And then you just kept racing. Yeah, it was the first thing I was ever good at, really. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. all right, cool. Did you have any, like, training back then, or did you just ride like you did? No. Like, I, and was, just win? Yeah, I just rode, and honestly, I was so I was so addicted to the sport, and I was so in love with the sport that I would just sit there, and I would just watch videos of all the top guys, like, all okay. day. So I would come home i'd put on dvds of all the races and i would just study and just like watch and okay. i'd find my good the guys that i liked i'd watch everything i'd see how they do things i'd practice and like visualize and that was all i wanted to do and then i rode so much at night mm-hmm. you know riding street and stuff and mm-hmm. yeah just practicing all your skills yeah and I, I always say you know i at that point in time i was riding probably the equivalent like in one year I was riding four to five times more than probably anyone else. So every okay. year was like five years of progression. Okay. Okay. So two years. So you of were training. You were totally training really hard. Yeah, mostly just like, and I didn't know that it was training, but I was just riding a ton. Yeah. Like nonstop. Yeah. Going yeah. down to the curb and like bunny hopping up the curb and off the curb and one eighties and three. Yeah. Seven. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun and. uh I know, and then once I got a mountain bike and had started to race a little bit, just going out into the woods and being, like, that head clearing, you know, of Mm -hmm. doing a climb and going down a descent and being able to go be by yourself. Like, I never, I never had experienced anything like that where you're actually on an adventure, Yeah, you know? You're like, today is an adventure. I'm going to leave my house and I don't know what's going to happen. And you, like, (laughs) go out and then, I don't know, it's just fun. That's the coolest thing about mountain bikes is if you really treat it that way you can go on an adventure and you're just like leave your house you get lost you go explore you find cool things you find weird you know little cabins and stuff Mm -hmm. in the woods and just all these cool things that you get to experience and go Mm -hmm. swimming and come home and just the beauty just there's so much to it like the other day i saw this with my girlfriend i saw this dead carcass and we didn't know what had happened to it because it was just ribs and a spine and then a bunch of like it looked like ripped off skin so we're trying to figure out what happened here on this trail you know what i mean and then and then we get to the top and there's this beautiful scene and just like you said like all of these adventures like that create such a beautiful like memory yeah you know which is why you keep going back which is really really awesome so you won you said you won the cup like the northwest yeah, the north american north american cup yeah so that was a series like basically the top racers from canada usa and mexico yeah and there wasn't a ton of mexican racers there's a, a handful but it was mostly canada usa mexico and we would travel between canada usa and mexico for that series okay and so i won that 
2014, so I was the overall champion for North America and pro, and then in 2015, because I had won that title, then all the sponsors were super supportive, and that was the first year I actually was, like, to able to get ahead, mm-hmm. you know, in life. And Yeah, you're not zero. Yeah. Now you've got some money in your yeah. bank and you're staying there. <laughs> yeah, and that was, I won the championship again in 2015, so I defended my title, and then at the end of that year, or throughout that whole year, I'd been battling with my hometown of Chico to build a public pump track. Right. Because, crazy backstory, but basically in Chico, it's considered, they always called it the bike town, like Bike City USA, because all the college kids ride around to school and stuff. There's literally not a single place that was legal to ride your bike. So skate park, illegal. I would get chased by the cops. Like, I actually got arrested and had to go to a gang violence class for eight hours because <laughs> I was riding the skate park on my bike. <laughs> That's and the, crazy. Gang violence class? Yeah, because, like, the guy, the cop, so we ran from the cops because we, we didn't know what else to do. We were scared. And the park ranger was coming. And you could always run from the park ranger, and they wouldn't be able to catch you. But there was a cop <laughs> behind their car. And uh, he saw us take off, chased us down, like, high-speed pursuit through the city. Uh, and gosh, I was so scared. Just some kids? Come yeah, on. Uh, yeah, riding our bikes. And so I, I was so scared, and I, like basically it was full sprint he comes like ripping around the corner e-brake sliding <gasps> what? lights and sirens everything and i like hide under a car like laying there and he comes runs out with his taser and is like get on the ground and i'm like <laughs> like so scared how old were you this is when i was like 17 oh my goodness and literally almost got tased and had i got my bike got thrown in the cop car i got taken down to the jail fingerprinted everything for evading, which is a felony, uh-huh. because oh, I was no. a scared little kid riding at the skate park. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't that want to get a ticket. Crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Kyle. So then the cop <laughs> felt bad for me because he, because he's like, saw I was a good kid, and he's, you know, you're innocent till proven guilty. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I was running from you. <laughs> like I'm definitely guilty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, like how am I not? How am I innocent? Like, what you am saw- I supposed yeah. to say? Yeah, I'll say and, uh, whatever you want me to. He's like, I'll I'll help you with this. And so he's like, if you go to this class on gang violence, and they ha- I went to the class, and there's all these kids in it, and they're you know what did you do? And you know oh I stabbed someone. What did you do? Oh I got in a fight at school. What did you do? Oh I was drunk driving. They're like what did you do? I was like I ran from the skate park, and everyone starts <laughs> laughing. <laughs> And, uh, I don't know, it was just so funny. My mom, I had to call her from the, like, little jail thing, and she was crying and had to come pick me up, and she's like, you're never allowed to ride the skate park again, and I, you know, that lasted about a day, but it was just funny, because, (laughs) anyways, long story short, my whole criminal record had been either riding on the sidewalk, because I was riding street, so I got so many tickets, I did a community service, like, three or four times for trying to just, like, ride and jump off stairs, mm. you know, and cops pull you over, all right, ticket, 30 bucks, and then 20, or 10 hours of community service. There'd be so many kids arrested in Boise. Yeah. My kids and their mates and all of them are going to the primary schools, and, like, they're jumping off their stuff, and, I mean, that's, that's what we crazy. Would do. Yeah, and literally... I had to work at the thrift store, and because like the thrift store basically is community service mm-hmm. labor. I had to work at the thrift store three or four different times for getting in trouble for riding my bike, and then I got arrested for riding my bike, and then I'm a national champion out of this town that just keeps arresting me yeah. and ticketing me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, you guys are so stupid because it pissed me off because I was literally a kid failing out of school, suicidal, had mom 
depressed, sick, on drugs, brother, depressed, sick, on drugs, going to jail, felony, like, and I was just this kid who found a bike, kept getting arrested, getting in trouble for riding my bike, which helped me get out of the situation, yeah. and then became a national champion, Yeah. you know, highly regarded around the whole world, top 10 at a World Cup, Yeah. out of this town that just, like, didn't even support in any way. Yeah. And they tore down our dirt jumps, like, that the year or two prior from this year in 2015 where I won my second championship. And so that year I went to Sun Valley, Idaho for a race and I saw the little pump track they had. And there's mm. so many kids out there that were like really good riders, really good kids, family atmosphere. Everyone's out there enjoying it. I came home after that trip and I was like, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. We need something that the kids can go to. Cause I'm tired of kids not having a place to be. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of kids that are now seeing my success and they want to try to emulate that, and there's, mm-hmm. they're just getting in trouble all the time. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, I reached out to the city. I told them, hey, we need to build a public pump track. Yeah. Like, this needs to happen. Just kept getting ignored, 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 ignored. Finally, the guy re- responded, um, hey, thanks for your message. You know, we're not interested at this time. You whatever, right? So I go on Facebook, and I send his email out. His name's Jake Preston. I go, here's this guy's email, Jake Preston at, you know, Chico, citychico.com. Everyone, please email him tonight saying we need a public pump track. So he got like 86 emails that night. And then the next day called me back, said, all right, let's talk. And (laughs) Nice, Kyle. Yeah. So it's cool because then, you know, we go to sit down. I'm like, I think 21 at this time sitting down with this guy. And I'm like, bro, dude, like we need this. This is my story. This is what happened. This is how much it's helped me. Your job is to is recreation. You suck at your job because you're not letting any of these kids (laughs) recreate. So then he goes, all right, let's do it. And then we... (laughs) He's like, what you need to do is go to this meeting, this meeting, this meeting. And they spread out the meetings a month apart so that you hopefully just give up mm-hmm. because you have to go once. They, you present your idea. The second one, they talk more about your idea. The third one, they decide on your idea. Okay. So it's three months of meeting to get to the point where they say yes or no. Go through all that stuff. Have like hundreds of people show up at all the meetings. Right. They say, yes, let's do it public pump track in action that whole year it's kind of getting constructed we're doing fundraising all this stuff i won my championship for the second time in october and then that was the month of the grand opening for the pump track and so we did the grand opening and i you know i remember i'm there i just won and that was like my whole pursuit that year was like win the championship again and we're at the pump track and i see we do the ribbon cutting see all the families all the kids everyone just having such a good time and having a place to be now. And all the guys I looked up to my whole life, like all the riders that were older than me, they were there nice. having fun, smiling, enjoying something that I did. Oh, so and cool. at that moment, I kind of was like, yeah, I think I'm done racing. Like, I just want to focus on doing cool stuff. So that was when I kind of started to divert my energy to community You were so on top, though. Like, to make that decision... And to have that vision at such a young age and being a champion yeah. is so mature. Like, I can't <laughs> believe that that's what you decided to think. Because you said in uh, the World Cup, you came in the top 10, right? Yeah, for a race in Colorado, we did like a World Cup race and I was 10th. And then after this this second championship year, I had a lot of interest from teams and all these people that wanted to support and like bring me out to the World Cup. But it was weird because, you know, my goal was national champion. Then the second goal was, like, repeat, defend that title. And I achieved both of those. But 
it didn't change anything in my life, mm-hmm. you know, like internally, externally, like made more money. That was cool. Finally had some savings, like mm-hmm. had the ability to do cool stuff. But interesting. Internally, I was like, okay, cool. Because I think what I was dealing with is that my goal, I never really actually cared about racing. Racing was a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to be happy and I wanted to try to make some money and I needed to figure out my, my purpose in life and what to do. And it had just happened that I you know, had my identity with biking, which helped save me. And and you were amazing at it. Yeah. And it was because it was such a huge, like savior mm. is the reason that I got so good at it because I did it so much. And if mm. anyone were to do something as much as I did it, they would get good at it. You know, that get good. Maybe not be as good as you though. Like, Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I think go that... find out people <laughs> work hard. <laughs> I think that the combination of like the how much that I was riding at that time because Your it was heart. yeah the heart that I had in it and then the w- the willingness to risk everything at the races yeah because I needed to yeah it made it like perfect storm to be really good at this and yeah. I don't know it was just interesting but it it was never really like when I was a kid I want to be a pro racer it was literally yeah. I just want to have my life be involved with biking because it's what I love the most and yeah. the way that you did that was through racing and yeah. then when I saw the pump track thing happen and I saw how happy my sponsors were for that yeah you know and they were like we wanted to support you in whatever you do because we're stoked to have you yeah we don't care about your races or whatever like we just want you to be a part of the brand and so lucky yeah when I saw that I was like this is way more impactful. Yeah. Yeah. It it made me feel so much better inside than like winning the championship. You stand on the podium. You're like, yeah, sweet. All right, cool. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, well, you went on to win another one. Yeah. The the third third year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was the hardest one, I think, because I was dealing with a lot, dealing with a concussion that year. That was really like, it took so long to get back to normal. It took me seven months from, from a crash. Yeah. From a crash. And that took forever. And then I was dealing with my girlfriend at the time got cancer. That was insane. So we were dealing with that. And then it was a, that was a hard year, but, and you still won. How did you do that? It's, I don't know. (laughs) That was a hard year. That was a really hard year, but I think that was one of the years where it was, it was really eye opening because that was the first year that I kind of had, um, you know, I'd moved in with my girlfriend at the time. I was, we had moved out of that abandoned house finally. Like, I was 2015, <laughs> I was still in that abandoned house. Wow. And we moved out of that, moved in with my girlfriend. She was dealing with this thing with cancer, kind of helped her through that whole situation, still going to the races. And then wow. by the end of the year, I was just like fried mentally. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with the concussion, it was really hard because I hit the back of my head, which is like your emotional processing. So I just had so much mood swing of, super highs and super lows and all this stuff and okay yeah by the end of the year i was done so i just told my girlfriend like hey you're awesome i'm sorry i need to move like i need to just be on my own i'm buying a van i'm just gonna go live in the van and i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna travel and is she okay by then she was okay by then yeah Mm -hmm. and we had gone through so much with that whole struggle that it was like you know it's really hard at that point especially when you're that young like when a relationship is that fractured and there's been so much turmoil and you're 22 yeah it's like you know i love you you're amazing but like i think we'll both be happier yeah if you know if you start a fresh relationship things are all awesome and you can like keep that bank rolling it's amazing and then when you have like a fractured relationship at 22 then you're just in for like years and years (laughs) of work right yeah yeah but yeah that was that was crazy and then in yeah 2016 bought the van and then started living out of the van and then basically that year that was like such a huge growth year 
personally. Because uh-huh. there are so many things that I hadn't been processing or dealing with for years of like mm-hmm. mom, brother, things at home, all this stuff, and being alone. And going, I went to Texas and lived in um, Austin, Texas for the winter to train at this place called On It. Yeah, just being alone, it was like very sobering and very, it made you process a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like I, I changed a lot and learned a lot in that year for sure. So you were telling me when my son was asking you some um, help with his training, you were telling me you had this one coach that was training you in intervals and you felt like throwing up and it was really, really hard. Tell me a little bit about how horrible that training was. Uh, Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Like, uh, I used to, it's funny. So with training for mountain bike racing, you know, it's very similar to road bike training where you do a lot of base, which is base is building aerobic capacity. So you're just out there riding a ton and, you know, between nine and 15 hours a week on the bike of just like pedaling and just getting out and riding road okay. bikes and stuff. Okay. Then after you build up your aerobic capacity, which is basically the base of the pyramid, Okay. you know, how much aerobic capacity do you have? How much ability do you have to move oxygen through your body? Okay. Then you start doing intervals, which basically takes that base of the pyramid and then sharpens it and makes you fast. So you're like oh. explosive. Mm-hmm. So to do intervals, we would do one minute on, one minute off for 40 minutes so, oh, <laughs> so the rule that he set out for me um, was you do one minute full sprint as fast as you can up a hill. So standing sprinted. And then as soon as that minute is done and you continue to pedal up the hill, but you get to rest. Like that's your rest is for one minute. Oh, and then you repeat. I had no idea that you were peddling your rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get to haul over and throw up in your one minute rest. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So for 40 minutes, basically you do 20 minutes on 20 minutes off but that off is still pedaling up a hill but oh. then you just do sprint for a minute then pedal sprint for a minute pedal sprint for a minute pedal and by the end you're like just pedaling as hard as you can going one mile an hour like yeah. just dead and i would have to do that two to three times a week and it was it was so gnarly i remember crying and stuff and you're like <laughs> like you're literally crying but you know that 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 was in 2014 that first year that i won the championship uh-huh. and that was like the first little bit of money that I had ever gotten, you know, we went on that trip, I had a thousand bucks in my bank account, but that year I spent $1,500 or $1,700 on this coach because I knew that like, I've always kind of understood invest in yourself. Like that is the best investment you can make. They will get you there. Yeah. Don't invest in stock market. Don't invest in like before you invest in yourself. So it's like like all your money that you have set aside, if you're not sure what to do with it, put it into yourself, make yourself better, learn something new, challenge yourself, like get equipment to do what you're doing. But anyways, I just was like, okay, sponsorship money. Sweet. I have like three grand. Okay. 1700 bucks towards the coach. Yeah. And then, yeah, he helped me. He worked you. He totally helped you. Is that the fittest you've ever been or no? Have you been fitter? It took a while. Honestly, I think that I didn't really see the full results of that training for until a year after. Mm. So it was weird. In 2014, I had gone so far in the hole with like training and intervals and I'd never done anything like that and the first part of the season I was really slow Mm. so the first race of the year I actually got like I think 14th or 15th and I was like oh my god my life's over what do I do (laughs) because I just spent all this money I finally had sponsors and then I was like 15th and the year prior the last race of the year I got my first ever podium I got a fifth so I went backwards yeah and I was like (laughs) oh and so then I told my coach hey I need to take a break like I'm done for a month, I'm not doing anything. Took that month off, went to Colorado and won the first race there. So it was like, Gosh. I was in the hole, but then as my body recovered, then I 
Yeah, you know, he won. Yeah, and blue. then I was just good for the whole year. Yeah. So it was weird, but... And then 2015, I had so much of that residual left. Because training lasts a while if you do it right, and I had and a ton of And you've got a young body. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun, though. It's cool to be able to um, just outwork people, or, like, outdo people, you know, especially yeah. on a pedaling stage. Like, yeah. I would I would be excited for the pedaling stages, because I was like, I know I'll go harder than everyone else. Yeah. And yeah, with that kind of training, for sure. Yeah, it was fun, though, but it's uh, not something you can do long-term, definitely. It's no, like a, I think it just work you. Yeah. Just... <laughs> it's cool to know you can do it though but i remember like sitting in or you know on the trainer in my living room sometimes and i'd be pedaling and just thinking about the races and thinking about everyone else and thinking about how bad i wanted it and like pedaling until you're like almost crying mm-hmm. just from almost like the emotion of like how bad you want it and then how hard you're working and it's like full you know the rocky moment of just like pedaling crying yeah. Yeah. You know, just like, yeah, like, yeah, like, I, I'm just thinking like, I like, I want to beat you guys. Like, I want to beat you guys. And I would think about the guys that I was racing that were older that I looked up to and that were ahead of me the year prior. And I was like, I'm going to beat you. And this is like, I'm going to get everything because I want to beat you. And and you did. Yeah. And then you did. And you <laughs> yeah. Did. You totally That's did. It's like effort. Yeah. Success is like effort times time or something they say, you know, it's like, yeah, if you just consistently put an effort then and time then you'll be successful yeah and you did and you were yeah you've been super open about your bouts with depression Mm -hmm. um when did you start feeling as if i mean your life is so chaotic and so (laughs) triggering and so um traumatic when did you start being able to label that you were fighting depression like at what age i mean obviously you were suicidal at 14 yeah. so you had you knew that something was wrong then and you've been such a fantastic advocate for being such a amazing successful athlete not too many i think more so nowadays will share the down moments mm-hmm. of that and so when did you start recognizing your depression um i think that it wasn't until, like I s- said, maybe in 2015 or 16, after I had a lot of this success, and then I kind of, I think that what I had done is I basically took all of the stuff I was dealing with for so long, and I put it in a box and then put it away. Right. And then I was like, if I am successful and I achieve these goals, then that box will go away. You know, yeah. like, I'm just going to get it. We all hope that. Yeah. <laughs> and then after, after having success... And it not, like, I, you know, open the door, box is still there. I'm like, yeah. okay, we need to unpack this a little bit. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until after I had had some success and I was a little bit older. You know, I was, like, not that old, still 22. But I was able to just kind of sit down and say, what is here? Like, what is happening? And, you know, obviously there's a lot of emotion going on and kind of just un- trying to understand it. And then, honestly, like, hitting my head, um, it kind of really I feel like it broke something loose that you know maybe I had been able to like keep wraps on a little bit and I was able to handle a bit better and then when I hit my head really bad it kind of like just broke that gate that I had built and it's like oh okay this is real this is here and that was so weird and so hard to deal with but watching my mom deal with it for so long like you know I didn't talk to her for a few years when I was um in my early 20s, like 19 to 22, I think I didn't talk to her for a few years because basically, long story short, I was trying to go to college 
filling out financial aid stuff because I wanted to go to school. I wasn't even planning on racing full-time. I hadn't really had success as a pro yet at this point. Go to fill out financial aid, and I got denied. And I was like, how did I get denied? Like, I don't so have poor. any money. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was like, what happened? So I started looking into it, and like my mom had been working under my social security number <gasps> under the table. And oh. so she had been working cleaning offices for my for my aunt under the table under my social security number so i had made too much money why did she, why didn't she do it under hers because she would lose her disability benefits oh, okay yeah so Shoot. yeah so that was kind of crazy because like i was trying to go to school and you know i was really excited i'm like okay let's do it what do you think you would have done at school i wanted i really wanted to be a teacher okay yeah so either science or physical education or something like that that Good was shop. yeah that'd be fun too <laughs> but yeah, it was just, that sucked, because I was, you know, kind of finally took the courage to be like, okay, biking's amazing, but I want to go to school, I want to do this, this is my path, and then it's like, eh, you know, you your stopped. mom screwed yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, okay, and then I owed, like, a couple thousand dollars in back taxes she never paid to, oh. and I was like, it was, it was a nightmare, so I, basically, we didn't talk for years, and then... You know, like I said, she'd been battling with depression, and the first time I talked to her again, she called me and said, hey, I need to have lunch with you. I go down, and she had uh, attempted suicide. She cut her wrists, and her neighbor found her. Okay. And so I was like, oh, man. Like, you know, it sucked because uh, I feel like she was dealing with her own thing, too, right? And she was really bummed, I think, because she had lost me, and she was just regretting a lot of decisions in her life. But at the same time... I almost felt like she kind of did it in a way to guilt me into coming back into her life mm -hmm. a little bit. And so it was really hard because, you know, I, I felt like at this point, okay, if I, if I don't start talking to my mom again and I like don't get over this and forgive her, then she's going to kill herself. And then I'm going to have to live with that for mm -hmm. my whole life. So mm -hmm. that was, uh, that was really heavy. Mm -hmm. And that, kind of really made me understand and identify depression a little bit more too okay. is seeing all that and then seeing her finally like try to take her life and you're just like this is not normal yeah. you know like most people don't deal with that yeah and it's like no <laughs> yeah no kyle you have so much that you've dealt with so what did you decide to do from that point when you knew that that was depression was a part of your life how did you fight it um honestly one of the biggest things that helped me is a supplement and mm -hmm. it's really weird, but um, there's a supplement called 5-HTP, mm -hmm. and it's uh, basically a serotonin builder, mm -hmm. and that has really helped me a ton. And it's Good. funny, if I don't take that, it, um, one of the companies I work with called Onnit, mm -hmm. they have a supplement called New Mood, and I didn't, I've never really taken supplements or anything too much, just protein powder and stuff as I was racing. Of course. And then when I found that supplement, I started taking it, I was like, man, I feel... Like, I have the ability to regulate my mood so much better, and I feel so much more even-keeled. Mm -hmm. And I notice if I don't take it for a while, then I'll kind of start to fall down. Okay. So, sometimes it's funny, like, April will notice, you know, if I... Sometimes I'll forget to take it, because if you feel good, you don't even right. think about think. it, right? And I don't have, like, a daily regimen of things I take. It's just... I'll just take that, and that's really all I take, and a vitamin every once in a while. And, uh, yeah, she'll notice. She's like, have you been taking your new mood because i'll basically just have lower lows and it's kind of hard so yeah. it's just a chemical imbalance which is so annoying <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, like why wouldn't this be able to fix or i don't know it's just crazy how hard it is to fix that 
for chemical imbalance in your brain. But yeah, 5-HTP has helped so much. So it's a serotonin builder. Good. Yeah. And then just being active and then honestly, um, trying to do things for other people, I think is yeah. huge. Cause uh, at least for me, I've noticed I don't get a ton of fulfillment out of things I do for myself. Mm-hmm. It's more so like I get more fulfillment out of doing things for other people. Yeah. So, I oh, mean, if I made sure. a, if I made a million dollars tomorrow and I had a million bucks in the bank, I'd be like, cool. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's <laughs> yeah. like, that's awesome. I'll put it into my business. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. Um, Which is helping people. Yeah. So having a million dollars would actually be amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, yeah, it's just weird. It's not something that I strive for in that way. It's What's just, like that feeling you have when you saw that bike park? Like that sounds like it, that was a fork in the road for you when you saw that bike park in your hometown and you realized, hey, life is more. Life is about more, and I want to be a part of this part of yeah, life. Yeah, it's not about you. Yeah, like, it's about today and what I'm seeing right here with all of these families. I yeah. want more of that. And that's what you've done. Yeah, and the biggest thing, too, was um, after the pump track was open, and, you know, a week or two later, I would go over there and ride. And it was cool, because I had a place to ride to now, you know, that was yeah. legal. I wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> and... uh <laughs> It was funny. When I did the PowerPoint presentation for the city, I just had a photo of a, of a guy getting arrested with his bike. And the, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is us. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. we need something else. But anyways, um, yeah, at that moment, I, a few weeks later, I was there and it's like seven o'clock at night, you know, kind of getting dark and it's fall time. So it's like definitely getting dark. And there's a few kids out there still riding and just being out there, you know, high school kids or junior high kids. And when I saw that, I just was like, that's me. Yeah. You know, like that for all I know, yeah. they could be going through what I went through and worse. Yeah. But now because of something that I was able to help build and help do, then they won't get arrested. Well, yeah. And they can just have an outlet. Like yeah. everyone needs an outlet and feel safe. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's crazy. Cause, uh, everyone needs an outlet and everyone has their different ways of finding an outlet, right? Some people choose healthy outlets. Some people choose unhealthy outlets. Some people smoke cigarettes. Some people drink. Some people do drugs. Some people ride bikes. Right. Some people work out. And so, and some people like their outlet is making money. That's what makes them feel better. So you have to find out an outlet that's healthy. Mm -hmm. And then if you can find a healthy outlet that also benefits other people, then that's like the double whammy, right? So I don't know. I just, yeah, when I saw that, it was like, all right, this is cool. Because I have so much empathy towards people because I know how close I was to not um, being okay. Yeah. You know? And yeah. just, it's almost like, I definitely feel like there's been kind of a guiding force. And I'm not religious in any way, but like, I definitely feel like there's been a guiding force. Um, just kind of, Helping. you know, it's like, or at least manifest. Helping like, you. Yeah, manifesting things is so powerful and I would just like dream of these things and visualize it. And then it's like, then it happens. And then you dream, visualize and it happens. And I think you can put out intention for sure. You have such a good energy about you and you feel it and you're so kind. And April is too very, very kind, like very, um, humble. And so it makes you approachable, Mm -hmm. which is key, which helps you to be able to help people. I mean, if, I mean, this is just, of course, if you came across as, yeah, I'm the best ever, and you guys should do this to be with me, then you're less approachable, yeah. you know what I mean? And I think that that's key if you want to help people. I think just your energy, your and April is just so um, kind that it's easy to be able to say, 
hey, I just hang out with. Because chil <laughs> children are like, like my kids are like, whoa, it's Kyle. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And when they hang out with you, they're like super stoked, you know? And then they realize they're really nice. Like they're actually super approachable, like we talked about, which is really cool, yeah. you know? And I think, just have a good energy about you. I think one thing that maybe helps a lot is that we don't um, want or need anything necessarily from other yeah. people. It's like, yeah. we're not trying to get something. There's not a back end motivation. Yeah. It's just, it's pure. Yeah. And it really is. Cause at, at the same, like with everything I've done and all the things I've been through, it's, I just want to help kids that are in the same situation and, yeah. and even adults in the same situation because yeah. everyone experiences hard times at different points in their life. They do. I was lucky to get a lot of it. Hopefully knock on wood, a lot of them <laughs> out of the way early. Yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah, I feel I'm really happy with how I grew up because it helped me learn a lot of lessons that a lot of people don't learn till later. Yeah. So I feel like I have had a good fast track in a lot of ways. And yeah. I always say it's funny because if you learn those lessons when you're young, it's really easy to just overcome them because you don't have anything to lose. Yeah. So it's it's not nearly as scary, you know? Like yeah. you're just I don't have anything. I don't have any money. I don't have any responsibilities. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, I'll kids. deal with this. Yeah. Yeah, it's just you and, yeah. and the world. So you've done a little bit of, so you're out of racing for a hot second, but I know you raced a little bit, um, in the last couple of years, yeah. like just locally and stuff. Are you going to get back into racing? Like, what are your feelings about racing? Yeah. I, I still race a little bit just cause it's fun. Like, I love going fast and, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice cause when you race, like the track is closed, there's no hikers, there's nothing yeah. and it's just fun to go fast. But yeah, I'll definitely race. I'm still going to do a lot, a lot of that, um, over the years, but it's like, I guess the way I describe it is it's not my primary focus or like not my driving force because the difference between being able to race at a high level regionally or locally or even nationally versus like pursuing a world because my, my next goal was going to be a world champion. Like yeah. that was the path I was on. Yeah. And the amount of energy it takes to do that is uh, like insane. You know, it's just so much energy. I can't and imagine. So I don't have the ability to do what I'm doing now and to spend that much excess energy but i can do what i'm doing now and then still race regionally and have fun and yeah just have a blast with it but i know it's probably a lot of people's uh goals to be able to beat you in these races yeah it so is. i yeah, think yeah. it's so awesome <laughs> that you're out there being okay come on this is maybe your moment <laughs> yeah i know i'm excited it's fun it's super fun and it's cool to uh even to show people kind of the level that they should strive for yeah. in a way. Like I'll go yeah. ride with the high school kids for the high school mountain bike team. Yeah. And it's funny cause some of them will kind of start getting an ego like, Oh yeah, I'm hot. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm good. shit. <laughs> and I told one of the kids the other day, I'm like, all right, let's do this. I'm going to sit down on my seat the whole time and I'm going to still beat you. And then, so we drop in down the trail. I'm just seated the whole time. And I just, I'm like, and I gap him by a bunch. He gets down to the bottom of the trail. He's like, what the hell? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> So you have a lot to learn. And yeah. if you can keep up with me, like when I'm seated the whole time and I never even stand up for anything, then now we're getting then somewhere. we're getting somewhere, you know. Yeah. But until you get there, don't be cocky. Yeah. You know? So, I love it, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's it's just, awesome. It's funny. <laughs> it's super fun. I, I like keeping kids in check. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. When I was a junior, we had this hotshot junior show up to the local mountain and he, they like cut everyone in line and got in front of everybody and we were all standing in line forever and I just happened to be on the chairlift behind them. So I saw what trail they went down and I like chased him down and I hit him off a berm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you know, I was just kind of... Don't be a jerk. 
jerk, yeah. dude. <laughs> it's just funny. Like, I hate people that have um, that ego or that sense where you can tell that they think they're better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. If I sense that from someone, I'm like, all right, enemy number one. You know, yeah. like, yeah. and I don't know why it is. Because well, you're competitive. You know, you're a super kind and a nice person, but you can have, like, the kill instinct yeah like i'm like, gonna win this yeah you know? i like putting people back in their place like yeah. when they get a big head and you're yeah. kind of like i don't know it's just fun to be able to do that when you see someone who's like yeah i'm, I'm the man and then you're just like are you really <laughs> you know so let's do it yeah it's let's fun. do it yeah i but. think it's awesome I, I think it's awesome that you still race and that you're around in our community and that you're doing this it's just so yeah i'm I, excited it's good for us i hope that the next few years um with all the kids here in Boise, it's kind of hard because they don't necessarily have the trails quite yet, like the technical yeah. trails here. But I think yeah. that um, with the surrounding area, Tamarack, Jug, and McCall, and all these great places, it'd be cool to see some kids come out that are fast, like really, really fast. Yeah, and it'd be really nice to have an enduro series. We have a um, cross country series mm-hmm. like Nike that are amazing and do an amazing job, and that trains you. Like the difference between my son uh, now than before Nike is everything, mm-hmm. and that's because it trains you to be fit and hard, you know? But it's not downhill. Like downhill has been all training, just trying to figure that out himself. And so to have an enduro series in Idaho would be amazing for those kids to get really fast on yeah. the downhill, you know? Yeah, I agree. Which is what they love, you know? My son's like, oh, it's just so much climbing. I just want to rip it down, you know? <laughs> and so we'll see. Hopefully that'll grow more and more with these kids coming in and then we can have more series, you know, of different yeah. riding would be nice. I know. It's it's really interesting. I'll, uh, I'll have parents a lot of times reach out to me and ask, you know, hey, I want my kid wants to go pro, or I want to. I want my kid to do really well. Like, what should I do? And um, it's funny because the answer to that a lot of times is just it's really within them. Like, if you have the right mindset and the right mentality about things, and you can kind of paint your own canvas. And even if you don't have the trails nearby, like one of the best riders in the world, Sam Hill. He grew up in Australia where it's just flat, dusty corners, mm-hmm, you know, and he's like mm-hmm. one of the best riders in the mud in the mm-hmm, world. It's like, mm-hmm. how did you become that rider? And mm-hmm. it's, it's all mental. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of interesting, but I don't know. I think a lot of kids sometimes will, um, or in parents too, will get in the mindset of like, we need this, this, and this to happen for this kid to excel. And it's mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, your kid needs to want to excel. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and if they really want it bad enough, they'll figure it out. Yeah. So it's yeah. hard. I'll... I'll see a few kids here and there that are like little shining lights. There's a few of them in the in the town right now that I think have the potential. And then usually I'll wait till they're 16. And if they get a car or a girlfriend, then they're usually gone. <laughs> so it's like if you see a kid that's like 16, 17, 18, and they're doing really good, then those are the ones I usually try to help. But yeah, I've spent yeah. I spend a lot of time helping kids that are like 12, 13, 14, and they're super fun to help. But then they get to be 16, they get a girlfriend and a car and they're gone, you know? Their bike's gone. Yeah. yeah. My son just turned 16 now, so we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. It's, it happens so much. I was so focused on racing. I didn't even get a car till I was 18. I was like, I was, you know, Laser ride, ride, focus. ride, ride. Yeah, I was like, I don't even care. Like, I'm just riding. I'm just riding. I'm having fun. I don't even need a car. I'm riding. It was funny. So That's awesome. Yeah. So you have the girl of your dreams and this business venture with her. Tell us a little bit about why April's the best business partner and life partner. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I was funny because uh, 
you know, they always say that those kind of things, relationship stuff, you always meet the person that you are looking for or need when you're not looking for them, you know? And, um, yeah, it was that, it was the year I was kind of living out of the van alone. I was just like a gypsy traveling (laughs) around and I met April and I had no intention by any means of getting back into a relationship so quick. Like I wanted to be single and kind of just be on my own and figure out things for a while. Yeah. Cause I was battling a lot internally at that time. And, um, when I met her, I just was like, okay, I I can't like, I know if I let her go, I'll regret it forever. Mm -hmm. And so that was the moment where I was like, all right, change of plans, like (laughs) moving to Idaho. Um, but yeah, she's, she's such a sweetheart. And I think that what I really love about April is that she is so, like you said, she's so kind, she's so sweet and she's misunderstood a lot of times because she's like a beautiful girl that has been in you know, male-dominated sports for a long time. And I think people a lot of times misunderstand or think certain ways about women in those mm-hmm. sports. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I just, when I met her, she was such a different person than than I had expected. And I was just like, you're awesome. And she's funny and kind and, I don't know, she's a really great person. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of it, too, was I had seen how she'd been treated by other men in her life before. And then knowing what she had been through and then knowing what she deserved. And I was like, I almost felt like it was up. Like I I wanted to be the guy that could give her what she deserved, Mm -hmm. like give her the life she deserved Mm -hmm. kind of. Um, So far, so good. Yeah. Because, (laughs) you know, when you find good people, I feel like a lot of times women get mistreated by men along the way. And it's hard. There's so many guys that will just kind of be players or kind of be, um, I don't know, just in it for the wrong reasons, right? And then when you meet someone who deserves, like, a good relationship and who deserves someone who's supportive and is a partner and mm-hmm. and then they haven't really had that opportunity yet, you're like, all right, like, this is... It's fun to have a good partner. It's, like, really enjoyable and it makes life so much better, so... How is it being in business with her so far? I know it's only new because um, everyone will be like, never get in business together or whatever, and you guys, you're all in. You're all in this business yeah. together. Is it... Has it been amazing? How do you balance that between your... It's kind of different, I think, because, like, the business, you know, quote-unquote, the business we have is just our life. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, because it's almost like people say, don't get in business with your partner, but it's different when your business is your life. Like, you know, because really what it is, is, like, people enjoy the relationship dynamic, they enjoy April learning, they enjoy... Um, us going to new places and traveling and just learning about these different things and learning about mountain biking and being this a part of life. it. So yeah, it's just like... You're living your life yeah. and happen to have a business too. Yeah, and she gets to, to be a that. part of it more now, which is yeah. cool because that was the goal last year. Once I started to see the YouTube thing grow, it was literally pri- priority number one like on the whiteboard. April, like get it to where April can leave her job. And yeah. so I printed out all these things and like forecasts of like how much we would need to do to make that happen. And that was kind of the goals is, all right, we need this much. I'm going to go for that much and then just check the boxes off as it go. And it's funny because the paper that I, I had like an Excel spreadsheet with all the numbers and everything figured out and the amount that I told her that we would need and that we're going to forecast for 2021, we basically hit exactly that, but a little bit over. And hey, great. Yeah. And it was cool because it's like that. I think I drew that up in July of last year, and then now it's like, you know, 2021, she quit her job in January, and it's like, everything is just how we thought it would be, we're planned for it, and yeah, yeah, I don't know, it's just been really cool, and so she's been, I think, for her, it's such a different mentality of 
not working for someone else. And yeah. she's learning it. And it's been really cool to watch that because not only is she able to set her own schedule and kind of focus on the things she wants to do, but she's like appreciated. Yeah. You know, and I think so many times in a workplace, it's really hard to get appreciated. And yeah. um, especially when it's a bigger environment, like I think, you know, Western power sports and fly racing, they're an awesome company, but yeah. they have a few hundred employees yeah. and it's hard to be, you know, special. Yeah. So yeah. it's and been this cool. This is her, and she's yeah. special, and you are too. And you <laughs> yeah. guys are on this adventure. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited just to share the adventure too. And I like we did a video kind of talking about the future of everything. Hap- like our goals, kind of. And yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Like, what are your future hopes and goals together? Future hopes and goals would be. Uh, I, I kind of told her. I think we have about three years to to do the YouTube thing, and before people get tired of us. <laughs> so I was like, we got about three years of. Uh, you know, this really fun, like, let's make this happen and do as much as we can in the next couple years, see what happens. And then if we can take that and grow it to something special, bring other people on board that can help keep running it. Um, it'd be really awesome, but we want to just kind of be a mountain bike resource for people that get in the sport. Cause I think so many times in the industry, the industry of mountain biking has for many years been directed really at the core user, like the core demographic, which is basically people that are already riders. They ride three to four days a week. They're shredders. They love downhill and free ride and all this stuff, right? But mountain biking as a whole is such a huge demographic and audience. And there's millions and millions of people around the world that are not being spoken to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, couples and women and you know older guys and people that didn't grow up on a bike that are in their 20s and 30s learning how to bike for the first time like Mm -hmm. those are the people that we really want to speak to and the reason is we understand what kind of outlet it can be and we want to help people find an outlet that's healthy and i mean it's been cool just to see that in action already helping people and that's why one of our sponsors that we partner with is Project Filter, which is the Idaho Tobacco Association. Yeah. And it's kind of like their mission is the same as our mission, which is people smoke cigarettes and they use tobacco and vape because they're stressed. Mm-hmm. And if they can turn that and put it into a healthy outlet where it's mm-hmm. mountain biking, it's mm-hmm. like just going to be better for everyone in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So true. And then what about you? Like, you've got this business, you've been through so much in your life. What are you hoping the next, like, what are you hoping for just you, Kyle Warner? Like, what are you hoping? I honestly still racing, you said, in your business. But what else do you see? I want to do local politics, Uh like local or state politics at some point. I think that would be really fun um, just to kind of be a person that could theoretically see these problem issues and areas and then actually empathize and like want to make a change for the better and be able to help kids like if i was able to be in charge of something or help influence something like that and you know develop scholarship funds for kids or yeah like i don't know i just i have a lot of empathy especially towards kids because kids are you know the future Mm -hmm. and the the adults that are going to shape the world tomorrow and Mm -hmm. they're so impressionable and they're so on the borderline of you know, make it or not like, like positive life, negative life. It's literally one bad decision away a lot of times. And so if you can help, help kids find that positive path, then it's cool. I always say that like mountain bikes were the, the key that unlocked the door that I was able to put my foot in. And you know, so it's like, it didn't just because of mountain bike, it didn't make my life immediately better, but because I found mountain bikes, it helped me build an identity, helped me find a community. It helped me 
you know, learn these life skills of like persevering and trying really hard and how much effort things take. And it's, I mean, it's everything, but that bike was literally the key that kind of unlocked that door. So I could go down that path. That's exciting, Kyle. I hope that you do get into it because yeah. I know that you'll be a positive change for our community for sure. If there's any politicians out there listening? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, just dealing, especially with the city of Chico and then now dealing with the city of Boise um, for the Boise bike park that we helped work on and build a yeah. couple years ago. Thanks like, for that. Yeah, I didn't, do the, I didn't do the ton. I just helped build like construct it and stuff and plan which but, is awesome i mean the yeah. flow needs to be good and you help with that but yeah. i know uh there, they did a lot behind the, yeah albertson's did a lot there yeah thank but, you to albertson's for sure just dealing with the city on a few of the things and seeing how that they how they work and then how out of touch a lot of the people are yeah you know and yeah. i think it's hard it's hard to understand what people go through if you didn't necessarily go through everyone has their own struggles right but yeah i think you need i think you need people from very diverse backgrounds to come to an understanding and a compromise that's healthy for everybody and we need so many different people to be the decision makers Mm -hmm. we need so many different kinds of people at the table making the decisions yeah and i think it's kind of funny but um I tell April this all the time, like, I I truly believe that, that you need all those different people and decision makers, and you need people from all walks of life, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm kind of trying to check all the boxes that I can of, I was the poor kid, you know, I dealt with addiction in my family, you know, I've had success, I've been an athlete, now doing, like, social media outreach to people, being a business owner is kind of next on that list of like checking that box and mm-hmm. then hiring employees. That's like another box I want to check. Cause, you know what mental illness is all about, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, I want to try to be the most well-rounded person that I can and experience as many things as possible. And, you know, I'm learning about money and investing and, you know, going from no money to having some and how to invest it and where to do and what is good and what, like how being an employer what you're looking for and then being an employee what you're looking for being in a relationship yeah in relationships and then like yeah hiring employees and then potentially if we decide to have kids then being a parent that would be another box to check but like i'm just trying to really go through life and kind of just get a feel for all these different things so that if i ever was in a position to help then you could kind of approach it from a perspective of okay I see how they're thinking about it this way i also see how these people are thinking about it this way like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I don't know. There's so, so many times and things in life where it's very convoluted mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, it's a push and pull mm-hmm. of, okay, let's see how this works. But I feel like through all the experience I've been through, um, it definitely helps. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause you, you gain perspective on stuff. You're like, this issue is not that important. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like a lot of times, yeah. When you have to deal with like very traumatic things or, you know, even just consistently like risking your life and limb, for success or to try to make money and then you go into a situation where people are like oh my god like, i just lost you know a hundred dollars because this happened and and they have money on the side or something you're like Dude, it's not that big of a deal like yeah. it'll be fine you know it's or, gonna be all right it's gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is kind of fun i i'm having fun with life i told my friend um the older i get the more i feel like i'm kind of identifying the board game that is life yeah and the older you get the more pieces you get to play yeah. with yeah so it's like when you're younger there's this massive board game and you don't really have the resources or the pieces to maneuver it very well and mm-hmm. then as you get older you're like more pieces just keep falling into play you're like oh cool i didn't know i could go that way and this way and this is an option and that's a cool way of looking at it yeah it's I fun like it. i like 
it's just fun getting older and like accumulating all these resources and experiences and you're just you've done so much you're 28 and you've been through more than what some of us will ever be through in a <laughs> lifetime which makes you unique and makes you who you are uh, in a lot of ways from some of the rest of us but i think you what you said is key i think all of us have this game mm-hmm. not this game but this board game and i think whatever it is our experiences were whether good or bad it's what we have yeah and it's you how know? you view like we're all on the same path of, you know, birth, life, and then death, death, right? Yeah. So we all have kind of the same arc. But depending on your experiences, it gives you different tools and a different viewpoint on how to handle it. So yeah. some people that are, like my mom, for instance, I, I often feel bad for her because it's almost like the board game is three-dimensional, right? And there's these different levels from mm-hmm. high to low. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like stuck in the valley. And mm-hmm. she can't see the rest of the game. She's mm-hmm. stuck in like you know, I'm just in my daily struggle and things keep happening to me. Mm. Like the vic- more of a victim role mm-hmm. of like, I don't have the tools to get out of the struggle. Like I, she's renting, she's dealing with, you know, bad landlords and this stuff happening and the heater breaking and this. and Still in Chico? She, she's yeah, still, in Chico. still, still there. And it's kind of interesting because I feel bad for her because she doesn't have the resources or the tools or like ability to really get out and then take control. But mm-hmm. then some people that grow up with like the silver spoon, they have the resources and they have everything but maybe not the perspective to see how to bring other people up because like mm. ideally everyone should be kind of on the same level mm. so mm. yeah i don't know it's just it's been fun i have a lot of fun with it and yeah i'm just excited to be around <laughs> so i'm excited you're around too and so are all of us <laughs> especially april probably so if you could look back at your 13, 14 year old self where you're feeling so much kyle like life is pretty bad you know what I mean? And it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. You're just a kid. And now here you are, 28, with this huge perspective on life because of all of your experiences and stuff. What do you think you would look back and be able to tell your 14-year-old self so that he would know that things were going to be okay when he was 28? Um, I would say the single most impactful thing I could tell little Kyle would be that life is not against you. Mm. You know, and it's like, I feel like so many times people feel like life is against you Mm -hmm. and you're fighting an uphill battle Mm -hmm. and it can often feel that way. But Mm -hmm. understanding and realizing that good things can happen to you Mm -hmm. and like that's been a huge thing that I still struggle with is I always have this constant fear of growing up in such chaos. I always had this fear of just at any moment everything that i have could just go away yeah and it's like kind of it's there is a small potential for that but like at the same time with all the resources and the things that i've learned along the way and like the people i've met even if i went to zero like if everything went away i could just rebuild Mm -hmm. you know so it's Mm -hmm. it's hard because i always feel like uh things will fall apart and that's still like remnant of my mom's way of thinking where life is kind of against you and life, things are happening to you. Mm-hmm. So if I could go back to speak to 14-year-old Kyle, I'd just tell him, hey, I know things are crazy. Life, is, life isn't life is against you. It's like you are in control. You can steer the ship. You can become whatever you want to be. And it might feel like it's not going to work out, but good things happen to people every day and good things happen. They can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. been something really powerful that i've been trying to learn and understand is like why not you why couldn't you be a millionaire why couldn't you be successful why couldn't you be a champion why like what is there's nothing different from you to anyone else yeah and you've blown through a lot of them yeah and honestly like (laughs) yeah it's like honestly um 
you know, when I was growing up in Chico, we have not a ton of like high profile celebrities or anything, right? And mm-hmm. athletes that come mm-hmm. out of there. But there's one guy, Aaron Rodgers, who's a professional football player. You know, he achieved Super Bowl. He was MVP at the Super Bowl. He's MVP of the NFL. Like, nice. He's this amazing athlete, and he came from my hometown. And when I was growing up, when I saw him achieve success, it was like, oh my God, I can do it too. Like, he's from here. There's, you don't have to be from anywhere else. You can be from here, and it works. And so, I don't know, it, it was just such an eye opener because before I felt like, those kind of things only could happen to people outside of Chico. Yeah. Because I was like, it wouldn't happen to anyone here. And then when Aaron went through and became, like, the top guy, I was like, I could do that, too. There's, like, he's no different than me. He grew up drinking the same water, you know, eating the same food, going to the same burger place. Like, I could do it, too. And, yeah, yeah, understanding that is uh, very huge to life, for sure. Yeah. Kyle... You are one of my most favorite people, <laughs> and I am so forever grateful that you are always continually kind to me and for this podcast today. I love your story. I love you. I love April. I love Ride MTB. I love that your, <laughs> yeah, your perspective you. on life. It's thank fun you doing so much. this one because it's nice to be fully open, and sometimes it's hard like with uh, more of the mountain bike podcasts and stuff. People do care about the backstory as well, but... It's nice to just be able to share because I feel like the life aspect of everything is so much more important than like the yeah the sport aspect, right? You're but, a total open book to us. And yeah, it <laughs> yeah. helps us to be able to love you even more, <laughs> even yeah. more. I don't know. I just want I want good things to happen to everybody because the crazy thing is that literally there's enough there's enough resources in the world for everyone to be millionaires and to have all the things they want to be happy and to do all these great things and to help other people. And absolutely for some reason we've been kind of taught that it's, it, that only happens to other people, Yeah, you know, and you look at other people's lives, even social media. Like I try so hard to stay off of, um, a lot of social media. Now I do like YouTube because you can share value. So like what we do, it's not necessarily like, look at me, look at me, look at my life. It's, Hey, here's value. I want to help you grow. Yeah. But if you look at like my social media and stuff, I don't post a whole lot and I don't, I'm not really out there a lot because I don't want other people just to look at my life and think, oh, that's only stuff that could happen to them. And I try to not do that to myself because I notice when I go onto social media quite a bit, I'll start to feel bad about myself because I'm like, oh man, like, you know, you, you're basically looking at the highlights of everyone's day or ride or week or successes and you don't get to see a lot of the, um, journey or the low lights and it distracts from what you're doing. And I just think that in a weird way, it's just teaching people all the time that these great things happen to other people. And it'd be awesome if we could conceptualize that and say, well, if it happens to other people, it can happen to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Human nature sometimes is, I think one of the hardest things that I'm trying to learn is it's really easy to love other people, but the hardest thing I think is to make sure that we're loving ourselves. And so that's when comparison comes in and yeah. stuff like that. But our number one thing we should be doing is like you said, it investing in us. My brother tells me that too. He's like, Mills, you got to invest in yourself. You're your number one, you know? Yeah. And you're right. We have to invest in ourselves, and we have to know we can do it. And we're our number one fan. And in society, I think that looks big. I mean, you got to yeah. keep your ego in check, but to be able to have that fantastic like love for yourself and know that, hey, I can be a part of this 
as well. Like I can yeah. bring good things and make good things happen because I can do this. And they're the kind of people we love to be around too. People that are just so amazing and they know who they are and they end up being really kind too mm -hmm. because they're kind to themselves. They're kind to themselves and so they're kind to others. And yeah. that's my goal at least to yeah. be able to be like that. <laughs> it's fun. I, I love watching other people shine and do their thing because it's like yeah. just you know I'm, I'm a firm believer in kind of the rising tide raises all ships yeah type thing and so and society sometimes it's not like that it's yeah. you or them it's yeah. us or them you're either with us or against us yeah. it's like no 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 hang on it's okay yeah i know that's like the that's kind of the hard thing like with uh you know crony capitalism where it's us versus them but then people don't play on a level playing field so yeah. it's like then people will undercut and do these things yeah. to to kind of hurt you or to take away from you instead of just focusing on themselves and one thing that i've really learned and that helped me a lot in life was like defining money because money is such a huge you know it's such a huge focal point of people's lives right and it's such it was such a struggle point in my life for so long was like money what is money like you know what is it actually and when I started to kind of define money as a store of energy and like money is a battery. And so the way that people work and they, the way that they converse or, you know, the way that they work with money is you trade your time and energy, whether that's physical or mental for money. And that money is basically a representation of that energy that you spent doing something. Right. So therefore the money is a battery and the way that you accumulate it and the way that you kind of grow your own value is by providing value, trading your time and physical and mental energy to other people to help them. So it's like with what we're doing with YouTube, it's me spending the week and a half to plan and film and edit all these videos to condense it to help save someone else time. Yeah. Then that's basically giving them value, which then in return will help us make, you know, it like provides us with more return. So yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Like once I started focusing more on just how do you provide value to other people and mm -hmm. understanding that, you know, value to most people is saving them time or saving them stress. Yeah. And so if we can, if we can help someone enjoy something more, which is mountain biking, save them time on the learning curve and yeah. then, you know, save them a lot of the stress and pitfalls, then yeah. it'll just like, we'll be good. Yeah. You know, society will reward us with whatever. It's yeah, not, yeah. it's not a transactional thing. It's just like the more good you put out and the more value you create, the more it comes back to you in return so that you can then create more. And then it, it's like yeah. this beautiful cycle. So that's why I started this podcast. Cause I see, I saw everyone fighting against each other and I'm like, what can I do to help us? What yeah. can I do? And I think by sharing it and I love stories. And I think when I listen to people's stories, that helps me to know them, be kind to them, judge them less, and see them as human and not as a label. And so I think if I can do that for others, even if it's just like my hundred listeners that I have, mm -hmm. like I've created a kind space where we can actually see each other as human with a story that we can connect with, you know, and I think when we can connect with somebody, I think that's where the heart is, that's where yeah. the love is, and then that's where the understanding is. Oh, they're like a human with the story oh okay maybe I should change my perspective on that and be grateful that they are who they are and celebrate that yeah. and be happy for them and for me too maybe I can you know what I mean so I think you're absolutely right I think if we can think about what we can do for ourselves 
and for others then that's where the connect is yeah and it's weird too to think about the fact that up until you know the internet was created in like the late 90s you know and or basically became kind of mainstream in the late 90s and up until that point people kind of stayed within their community a lot more right like you had television you had news but at the same time people for thousands and thousands of years have had like these small communities where people are very like-minded and they look the same and they are very much the same and then just in the past you know 20 30 years a lot of that has changed where now you're looking and you're interacting with people that are different than you that have different viewpoints that you know look different than you and we haven't really put the process in place to understand or like our human brain I don't think has kind of evolved to the point of handling that very well yet and yeah. so you see a lot of this like toxicness on the internet in some areas and little pockets of it but then there's also like these really great pockets of so positivity m- so many great things yeah and on like the line even so with our youtube things. channel with the comment section and stuff we try to respond to people and actually make them feel like they're part of our community and so yeah. it's weird because i wish that people instead of having these labels right like even the mountain bike industry right it's like mountain bike industry it's not cyclists you know like it's like we should be approaching and catering and helping and caring for every single person on two wheels Mm -hmm. and then beyond that it's like we should be doing that for every person Mm -hmm. and then like that's why our kind of mission statement isn't we want to help people ride mountain bikes better that is part of it but our mission statement is we want to find people find a healthy outlet yeah because that's more important like that it doesn't matter if someone watches our videos and they're like that looks fun i'm gonna learn how to pump so i can ride a bmx bike Mm -hmm. awesome you know if you want to learn five tricks that you can do to ride you know a fixie or something like Mm -hmm. that's fine too like all we want is to find healthy outlets for people and so once we kind of go through this whole mountain bike phase where we have all these videos like a hundred videos almost of this we want to help people learn this 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 and this and highlight these different things once that's done then like i'm not afraid to move on to Mm -hmm. something else like Mm -hmm. i would love to help people figure out financial stuff or Mm -hmm. figure out you know how Mm -hmm. to invest or things like that so yeah i just want i would like to help people and i kind of have learned and now with youtube and the democratization of education and Mm -hmm. and knowledge Mm -hmm. if you just help other people and you do it in a good positive way where you put a lot of energy into it then you'll you're good like you'll make money you'll be able to live your life you'll be able to do cool things yeah yeah well that's awesome kyle (laughs) i really appreciate you thanks so much yeah good luck with everything yeah for i said i (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) okay thanks Thank you so much to Kyle Warner for sharing with us his story. His life is proof that no matter what cards you're dealt, you can rise above it all and find purpose in who you are and what you want to become. Kyle is such a hard worker and his story is inspirational and I hope that you feel better after listening to his story and inspired to be able to go and fight for what's yours, to remain humble and to help out your community somehow but also focus on you being your number one warrior and your number one champion. I'm so grateful for stories like Kyle's to be able to help us to be able to move forward in a positive light and in a positive way and I wish Kyle and April all the best in the whole world for them to be able to be successful in their business ridemtb.com 
Go check them out. Maybe I'll see you around with a Ride MTB t-shirt on. And let's go shred some trails out there or shred something. What's your inspiration? Go for it. Try it. Be inspired by these stories and go live your dreams one step at a time. Thank you, Kyle Warner. Thank you for sharing us your story and your light and for being such an amazing dedicated hard-working person so until next time kakiti anō aoi koutou